everyone to the first ever Market Insights podcast. I'm sure you're all enthralled as we are. Um, we thought we'd join the, the world of podcasting in this uh, bit of downtime that we have. This is the voice of uh, Jay Sosick, aka Blades Analytic on Twitter. Um, if you don't know me, you, you don't follow football Twitter. Um, I am currently on the line with a, a couple of guys who are my colleagues in the Market Insight team, so I'll allow them to introduce themselves personally. We kick off with uh, with the man behind the strategy, if you will, Mr. Keach. Hello, I'm Tim Keach, better known as Stop Bunching on Twitter. For some reason, I can't quite remember why. Um, I helped form Markets last summer, and we're joined by Andy McGregor too. Yeah, my Twitter name is El Pavosi Football. Now, it, it sounded really cool at the time when I started it, but it's not actually that cool. It just means the pivot in Spanish. Uh, I, I joined in September when the, the, the original founder members, the four founder members, took me on. And then I'll, I'll let Gav tell, tell, tell more about himself now. So I guess I'm the latest questionable signing um, that will be under review. But uh, I'm Gavin Miller. Uh, on Twitter, you'll find me as Pure Fitba, covering predominantly all things Scottish football, a few other bits and pieces. And yeah, just really excited to see how we get on in this podcasting world thanks guys that was excellent um so i guess i guess the the first thing to say is who are we um we all have pretty decent numbered social media accounts but probably a level of anonymity as a, as a company um unless you've read our blogs or, or you know us personally i think strategy wise tim he's probably best to just give us a description of of what we are as a company and why we exist, if you want to do that, Tim. Okay, so Market Insights formed really because I had a bit of downtime between some contracts um, and I decided just to put my thoughts on football down in a blog. From that, I was contacted by Matt Lawrence, who's Panas and Nutmegs on Twitter, and Ram Srinivas, who's Ram Srinivas on Twitter. And uh, we decided to do a piece of work together looking at how we might deal with a championship club who needed to rebuild their squad. So we decided on Swansea, and then there was one guy on Twitter called Swans Analytics, known as Kev, well, Kevin Elphick, um, and we decided to get together and just do a case study. So we pulled our data knowledge and our football knowledge and did this really long piece of work, which we thought would go nowhere. Um, we had that piece of work kind of retweeted and read quite a lot, and we had some kind of nice comments from people working in football who said it was good, and they agreed with the basic premise. Um, we then got contacted by Swansea, who actually then asked us to meet with them, which we did. And we have ended up working for them, kind of implementing some of the ideas that we had within the document. Um, from that, it's kind of moved on. So Swansea was client number one. Um, this company has kind of evolved as we've gone. And we decided that what we were doing was watching a lot of football and we were seeing a lot of players, but probably only for every game we watched, we'd normally be watching one specific player. But we might see four or five players within that game who we thought looked decent in some way. So we decided that we could actually share the scouting between several clients. We could look at a player and say, he's good for Swansea, but this player would actually be really good in League One. This one doesn't fit Swansea's style of play at all but could play for another championship level club or even higher. This one's out of budget for what we're working with. So, so we wanted to find a way we could be more efficient. We could use that, that one watch of a game to identify maybe four or five players who could be decent level players. So that was the next step. And we've taken on a few more clients since then. And we have built the company up to do four main things. Um, identify players. So that's through data. We've got access to really good data now both kind of 
the common data that everyone sees. And if the club have subscriptions to more advanced data, they often let us use that for their specific work. We So we identify the player, we scout them. That means watching a lot of Y-Scout, a lot of Instat, um, far too much, but that is the part of the job. Um, and then what we do to kind of differentiate ourselves is the next two steps. And that is really kind of the background checks. So we look at a player, we see who they are um, on social media, we follow them, we we get all the information we can from our contacts in the game. And then we take that information and pass it to the clubs. And the final step is recruitment. And recruitment is really getting the player into your club. And what we always say is, if a player's good and it's obvious they're good, there'll be a lot of interest in them. So there's a lot of background work you need to do in persuasion to kind of sell your project to the um, the player. And we can do that through contacting agents and speaking to them and kind of selling the exciting work that the, our clients are doing. Tim, can I ask just a quick question? As someone who's new to market insights how did you feel when Swansea actually spoke to yourself about the work that you'd done well it was um a bit surreal really because um we we did this case study and we posted it off to the club and we didn't hear anything and we thought they probably get loads of kind of uh, speculative work and since I've worked in football I know that to be true you get a lot of people contacting you um and we thought oh it's gone into a pile of stuff it'll never be looked at um but then we got an email from Andy Scott who had just that day I think been appointed um, to work with the club and he had read through it and actually the players we'd identified through data were exactly the same sort of players and even the same names as a couple of players he'd gone to the club and suggested would be good signings for them Um, so we kind of met in a service station off the M25 which is a very common thing to do in football I'm beginning to realise I I know every motorway junction and service station there is now. Um, And we had a good couple of hours of chat, really. And uh, afterwards, they they went away and discussed things and came back to us saying, yeah, that sounds like we could do something together. So, yeah, we've been doing that for the last six or eight months. And, uh, yeah, we've put together a list of 500 odd players. And between Andy and ourselves, we've probably watched another 300 or 400 games worth of football and recorded it in our systems for the club so yeah it's been very exciting I think what's probably key there is um, one of the points is the various elements of what we do Um, we don't want this to be a vanity podcast there's going to be some some fun elements to it and we'll talk about players definitely and how we identify players but I think we could have a data podcast alone if we got Ram and Kevin on um, we all use data, but certainly they're the, they're the experts on the data science side of things. But one thing I, I think we need to make clear is we're not just data analysts as such. Um, we have a man on, on this call specifically, um, you know, who is somewhat of a ridiculously unheralded scout. Um, so I think I think it might be worth letting Andy McGregor just have two minutes explaining kind of his process into market. And then since he's been in market, because Andy's a guy who is constantly raising players that a lot of clubs don't know. And then when he raises their names, they are very interested from that point. So do you just want to give a, a little background of yourself there, Andy? Well, how can I follow that? Uh, yeah. Well, so basically my g- general role is a rec- I'm a recruitment analyst for Market Insights. And prior to Tim uh, and the guys offering me a position to with Jay to join in last September, I, I started as just a blogger. Uh, I've always been interested in data ever since I was, I was younger. I was really into baseball. I was really into the uh, NFL, I was really into basketball, and eventually, just as as, as happened, stances data got better in football. I got more into that, and 
I suppose what I, what I did is I sort of wanted to use dates and so that's created the Alpavotti football blog. People can have it and check out some of the articles. The earlier ones are not so good. The later ones are much better as I start looking at more different types of players. But my processes are just what I use data to find players. So data is you know, a great tool. People obviously, are a bit, you know, some people can be a bit wary of data. Some people say it's how you interpret it. I use data to narrow shortlists and I look at players from all over the world, whether it's Japan, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Italy, wherever, wherever, wherever it takes me. And my process usually is use that data to find specific types of players, based on whether it's clients, player profiles, or I'm just looking for players of a general profile that could, I think, could play at a higher level. Maybe if they play in Armenia, I think they could play in Belgium or Austria. And so I just, I watch a lot of football. I'm a bit of a football nerd. You know, I, I spend a lot of time watching different players and. You know, Jay obviously really nicely said there that I watch you know a lot of players. Some people think I've got an encyclopedic knowledge of players. That's probably not true, but I'm one of those people who watches a lot, a lot, a lot of football. I almost sound like Silla Black there, being obviously from Liverpool, but yeah, I don't really know what to say. I'm quite, you know, I'm quite bashful. Jay said that about me, but yeah, it's my process is use data to find players and then watch them to obviously to validate one the data and also validate them as players who can play at different levels. I guess something I wanted to ask all you guys, and I may as well start with you, but has there ever been a game or something that you've watched and you're thinking, oh my God, why am I actually watching this? Like not in a, a bad way, but like a crazy division or a crazy player or, or is there anything that sticks out in terms of, you know, the, the surrealness of, uh, you know, what we do? Yeah, you know, for me, you know, I don't watch, as Jay, you know, Jay probably tell you, Jay's more the EFL expert than me. I don't watch a lot. I keep in touch with, obviously, the Championship League 1, League 2, but I don't watch a lot. Recently, I watched Lewis Gibson, you know, you know someone I, not, not for any particular club. I was more watching him for my own sort of keeping keep tabs on him as I'm an Everton fan, but I'll never get those, you know, those ninety minutes back of watching the head tennis between Fleetwood and, and Wimbledon that day. And, but there's other games I've watched. <laughs> you know, there's other, there's some, been some absolute really real, really dire games that I've watched. Whether it be in, you know, Romania, some of the leagues, some of the standard of playing, you know, Romania. You watched it for one particular player, but the rest of the team is really amateur level. It's it, 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 it's hard really because I suppose you can enjoy all football, but some games are just a real, real tedious task, if you will. That's where me and Andy might differ because I absolutely love AFC Wimbledon versus Fleetwood. I've got no issue whatsoever with that. Um, <laughs> that's it's really interesting that because that's that's really the difference between us all is what makes I think us a decent team, if you will. Um, we have guys that are watching a variety of leagues without any data knowledge prior to them. They're just watching the leagues because they're interested in them. Then what we have done is bought a real insight to that through the use of data. So we're we're targeting the recruitment to the specific club profiles that we work for so we get given a set of instructions if you will for anyone who doesn't know anything about football recruitment what what type of requirements does does a club want for a central midfielder do they want someone who is box to box who's got a great engine they're not bothered about the technical ability or do they want someone that matches Kevin De Bruyne Um, you'd be surprised how often we get asked for that but um, it, it is key that what we do is that we then analyse that with the club break that down and go away and individually within all our tools and models that we have we find the suitable players from around a variety of leagues. As Andy said, it could, could be the EFL. I am, I think I'm pretty well known for it on Twitter. I'm, I'd like to think I'm a bit of an EFL expert. I certainly watch enough hours of it. Um, and Andy is right. There is some terrible horror shows at times. But there's also some absolute gems as well. Um, Gav, I think it's fair to say that you probably know what that feeling's like, having a love of the Scottish Championship. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I guess Scottish football in general. Let's let's just be candid about it. It's it, the standard of it's not great. There's certainly a lot of good players, but I think there's more of an issue with the the managers, the coaches, maybe being a little bit outdated. And I think that's what's probably part of uh, our issues when it comes to Scottish football in general. And there's too much of a like trusting what you know rather than doing something different. Uh, and an example of that in Scottish football is Ian Cathro. So Ian Cathro was someone who was really highly rated as a, a coach um, and someone who was thought to be very forward thinking and got the gig at hearts. And from day one, he was just absolutely slaughtered as someone, uh, I think the papers called him a laptop manager and that he was trying to implement football manager into real life. So yeah, it was a, that was definitely something that, you know, just shows the, you know, how backwards Scottish football can be. And it's definitely frustrating for me because I, I again, I think uh, to speak about, you know, a player specifically, I, I was really excited about Michael Rose getting the chance to go down down south and obviously the move to Coventry and yes uh, if you have listened to me before this will be another opportunity for me for to promote some Michael Rose propaganda and uh, yeah I think that there's more players like that in Scotland that deserve the opportunity to show what they can be but uh, yeah the actual game itself is as I think you, you said it's definitely head tennis at times. There are some really good progressive Scottish coaches though that's the interesting thing we've been working with Tampa Bay Rowdies in the States in the USL and their manager Neil Collins has got a real kind of high pressing exciting style of football um we've worked on a project with them and your question earlier about kind of obscure places and leagues and so on you've watched football in obviously when you're recruiting for the USL level players you're not going off the uh, sorting data by the top you're really looking at who you can uh, you, you can get um, so I ended up watching football last summer in the Sudan, which was um, basically played on a concrete pitch, as far as I could tell, with a thin layer of kind of green carpet over it, which was patchy and worn away and sides and the ball would bounce kind of three times as high as you would expect. Um, and also a lot of um, kind of college level football, which again was varied. You do get talents coming out of there, but you get an awful lot of players who are just nowhere near any type of professional standard. So. It's really good, though, for training the eye because you end up watching a lot of football that you wouldn't otherwise watch, and it kind of highlights kind of how good top-level pros are. Um, so, yeah, it's been really an interesting experience scouting for clubs one week with a budget of kind of forty, fifty thousand pounds a week, and then another one the same day, often with a budget of five hundred quid a week. Um, and yes, there is a big difference between the two levels, as you can imagine. Absolutely, there is. Um, I think one thing I wanted to cover, which which is, you know, this is not a sales podcast, but to give an insight really of of what we feel differentiates us and, and what maybe we're doing slightly different to many other companies that people might see out there is our usage of the data um, and why we feel data is important. So I think it's probably common knowledge now on Twitter. There's an awful lot of people that have cottoned on to the fact that data analysis on Twitter is a interesting um, and, then, and then in football circles, in actual practicality, it can help unearth undervalued talent or even better than that, it can confirm your bias, if, if you know, your eye bias if you've been scouting already. So it does have its uses. It can also obviously stop you from spending a, a bunch of cash on a player who really isn't that good, but who may have the opinion of some people or agents that he is. So it can filter out the noise. But more than that, I think beyond that, what we like to think we do is offer insights from the data. So we're not just saying... Player A is good because on a scatter graph that you see on Twitter with the two axes and the person in the top right is always the best, that's the player. That's why they're good. We're not saying that. With the joint kind of relationship we have between the data and the video scouting, 
with the contacts on the ground that we have in a lot of these nations as well, we're able to build a bit of a picture, a background of the player. We're able to say what they do on and off the ball. We're able to be quite clear about data-wise what they do well, what they don't do well. Our profiles really do show that and it's been proven. And I think that's that's the key for me. It's the insights from the data. We're not saying the old line that stats win games. We're certainly not saying that uh, this player has got great stats, so he's going to be great playing from a 4-4-2 into a 3-5-2 in the Premier League from Croatia. We're not saying that at all. We're simply saying the data can highlight players that w- will maybe of interest to certain profiles with the background that we can then do, with the advanced data that we can sometimes get and use, and then with the video scouting that we've built up through our network and through our, our kind of colleagues that we have, we're able to give a club a, a really big picture of a player, an all-encompassing picture, if you will, and one that a lot of recruitment departments out there, certainly at top level, can do, but not many maybe are doing in the way that we are. And I think that's key. We're not just saying, here's a bunch of stats. We're actually offering insights and opinions based on those stats, which I think is quite key to highlight. Yeah, I think just to elaborate on on that a little bit, Jay. Um, so for me, I, I, I was thinking about this sort of thing and uh, an example I have of, and this isn't a, to badmouth the player or, or anything, but just to, to help contextualise it, Christian Doidge, if you look at him, so his, you know, plays for Hibs in Scotland, his uh, underlying stats, his XG is 11.36, his goals scored are 12. So you would say that he's performing to where he should be performing. Uh, maybe obviously slightly overperforming, but in the grand scheme of things, doing what he should be doing. But if you don't watch the video, you don't see the the technique that is maybe missing with Christian Doidge when it comes to his finishing ability. You know, I've referred to him as the king of the sclaff. Um, you know, if it can hit him in an unconventional place and treacle in, it's going to absolutely do so. Uh, I don't know if that's what he was like at Forest Green, but um, that's what I think, you know, if you don't have both elements together, you don't necessarily get the understanding of what that player is overall or what, you know, the outputs are telling you. Sorry, that's absolutely correct. I mean, I'll I, I just, you know... One thing that we would do there is, yes, the XG would flag him, you know, um, certainly if he was XG per night or his total XG was one of the best in the leagues, it would absolutely flag him. But we don't, we're not just looking at expected goals or we're not just looking at shot conversion rates, especially for strikers, because I can tell you now, a lot of clubs that we work with and a lot of guys that we talk to in the modern game, especially don't just want a finisher. Some do, and certainly goals. But actually, you know, when you look at the, I've got two Everton fans on the phone, so I'll reference this. If you look at the mobile centre-forwards around the Dominic Calvert-Lewins, the Richarlisons, that type of player in modern football, the player who can deal with with a lot of vertical play, who can basically bully a centre-back that has a little bit of pace and strength and is a goal threat, a lot of clubs are wanting that at the minute. So we would look a lot deeper at the profile in terms of the build-up play, in terms of the duels and the physical outputs, and then you marry that up with the video as well. Um, you're absolutely right. A stat won't measure how, how you know, yes, post-shot XG will measure how someone finishes in terms of that. But Billy Sharp, you know, he's probably my hero. He's made an absolute career of just toe-ending it in the bottom corner. Um, so it, it is difficult sometimes to do that. And that's why we certainly spend a lot of time fact-checking our own data um, and our own use of the data as well. And another thing we like to do, just because, again, you said this isn't a sales pitch, it is a, a podcast, but just just one more thing we do is um, we also, we take the the data that we come we see through all the kind of st- stats companies, they produce really good data. But what we also like to do is kind of gather the slightly more subjective things that the data doesn't measure. So every player we watch, we have another kind of 
eight elements we record, which are to do with like their physicality, their pace, their power, their touch, their technique. So we we create another kind of subset of data that goes on top. And yes, it's subjective, but I think we've aligned our eyes quite well with with football now. So we can look at a player and say, on a scale of one to ten, kind of how quick is this player? Um, we can we can look at different elements of that. And I know Andy's been doing some particular work on that as well. Yeah, you know, I think the key, you know, the key, you know, what you've been saying is as well as using data, we we both use the eye test, which obviously is still fairly important in football, and the data to build profiles. So we're not, I'm not going to just watch a player for a club and say this player is good, he fits you. Obviously, we're working with the clubs to build those profiles out of what players they want, and we then use them profiles to find players. You know, stri- we're talking about strikers, Christian Deutsch. The strikers are unicorns, and they're very hard to find really great strikers. It's, it's probably, you know, you probably make your career as a scout if you find a great striker. You know, that, that's that's the big, the big whale. That's not, you know, you're going to harpoon any little whale. It's a striker, isn't it? So, yeah, I think that people, I think that the way we the way we do it is good. And we obviously, we all, we all, it's not just me watching players and then, you know, you, you, you know, we all watch the players. We all give our, you know, our opinions on them, you know. So there's, there's, there's a lot of eyes on these players. It's just not one person's view. I think that's a really good point that Tim's raised and then we actually backed up. So we've, again, sales in it. We've got a database of, of about 400 players now that we've inputted match reports on, that we've got notes on their, on their videos um, and the data profiles as well and our own kind of physical metrics that Tim said there, along with a, an individual rating that we give each player for the level that we feel they could transition to or, or move to. Um, so, so that's that's all builds a picture of a profile. We don't just go on 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 field stats data. We don't just go on a video test. It all combines together to give a a real big picture, and that's what I mean—an all encompassing picture of a player, so that the clubs can see a little bit of everything that they want to see. Um, and then from that, you're into character questions, which a lot of clubs can do as well. We dug into some for, for some clubs, but that's where you, at that point you've probably already said we like this player enough to really invest some time into maybe really watching a lot of 90 minutes and also getting into the character of the player and contacting the agent as well from the wages. But I, th- I think that brings us into kind of looking at some some questions that we were asked on, on social media, actually, because there was a really good one there that I think Andy said strikers are unicorns. And I think one of the, the things that data analysts, especially in the Twitter world, find hard to spot um, is a box-to-box midfielder. Because that could mean a lot of things, can't it? We look at Kevin De Bruyne as an advanced number eight. Is he a box-to-box midfielder? Or is he now that new modern position? You look at the old-school Yaya Torre type who could run up and down the pitch all day. So I think that's a good one for Andy, probably, who's our, our resident kind of 2am scout watching in uh, every single country in Eastern Europe. Can metrics alone spot a box-to-box midfielder, Andy? No, but they can highlight players who potentially could be. I would, I, I would say that, yes, you know, I look at, you know, Abdullah Dukore is a prime, for me, is a prime example of a box-to-box midfield. If you look at Abdullah Dukore, he gets, in the last couple of seasons, he gets into the box more than any other, you know, quote-unquote defensive midfielder in Europe. So he's obviously advancing a lot into the box. So you, that gives you an indication, obviously, that you need to watch him and style of play, how he's on the ball, off the ball. And I suppose it's how you define a box-to-box midfield. And I think certain clubs would say a box-to-box midfield is obviously someone that, you know, like, Decore who breaks up play and gets forward. Some would, and I have had this conversation with friends before where they have said, for example, Kevin De Bruyne is a box to box midfielder. But to me, obviously, a box to box midfielder is someone who can win the ball back, obviously, you know, and then obviously advances the ball. So it depends. 
really, I think data is very important, as we'll probably get to with other questions, you know, building a profile. You do need to use this person's data to build a profile, but obviously you're also using the eye test on the, on the flip side to that, of obviously matching them to what that, that specific club, client, if you will, wants from a box-to-box midfielder. Because as I would say, everyone has different key performance indicators of what a box-to-box midfielder is. And that's interesting because another question we had was on Fabinho. Um, and could you find a similar player to Fabinho? Well, when I look back through the data, I've looked at the last three seasons of it. If you look at Fabinho at Monaco, I'd say he ticked what we would define as a box-to-box midfielder's um, main statistics. He was He was passing a lot. He was doing a lot of defensive actions, but he was also progressing the ball forwards with runs um, from the middle. But when you look at Liverpool, his role there, he's not what I'd call a... He wouldn't flag up in my box-to-box midfielder search because he's not really doing that progression of the ball as much as he was with with runs. So you've always got to take the the style of the team that they're playing in into account. You can't ever look at a player and say, he's not capable of doing this because his data is not flagging it. If you're the right build, you're the right, you've got the physicality, you've got the pace, you've got the ability to run with it, then that will show up brilliantly if you're in a system that allows that to flourish. If you're very specifically a midfield blocker and you're a very, very elite level one and you're also able to play those through balls and do everything I've expected of a Liverpool midfielder, but you're not running with the ball, you don't want your data searches to be cutting out players with that profile because you wouldn't turn Fabinho down for any club. Um, so, yeah, it's always interesting how you can just change things by a, a very small change in metrics on a data search, but you don't want to be ruling anyone out. That's that's a really good point. Um, and obviously, Fabinho spent you know quite a bit of time at Monaco as well you know, in a right-back role. Um, you know, so he's already shown versatility to adapt into a different position as well in, in terms of that, which, you know, a right back role that's definitely athletic, you know, could suit that box to box role in terms of what they're doing running wise, carrying wise. So it's really interesting that, Tim. I think um, there's a really good blog and it's, it's really advertising ourselves, but there's a really good blog that Ram did with yourself, Tim, about Semi Ajayi. Who's a, if anyone doesn't know who Semi Ajayi is. He plays for West Bromwich Albion and he, he's been their new signing this summer and he's played at centre-back and he's been quite exceptional, actually. But Semi played at Rotherham uh, the this, this season previous in their relegation back from the Championship to League One and he played as kind of a, a ball-winning midfielder. And because Rotherham was such a, a kind of a, a lowly team in terms of possession, Semi's passing stats are a very basic level, how he, you know, his accuracy, his forward passing, they were all quite quite poor quite frankly you know so if you were flagging someone up as a signing even if you were thinking of semi as a, a center half which everyone knew he could play you might think mm, how well does he handle the ball his data profile doesn't come up good on our profile it did show a little bit more on the insight wise because on our creative passing metrics semi actually came up as as pretty pretty okay especially for a team that were quite poor um and near the bottom of the league as we always say teams with good uh, players with good stats in bad teams they are definitely ones to look at um, but what, what we actually did is we looked at Semi in, in this case test and we actually mapped all of his passing. So we looked at where he's playing passes to and from without getting into that on a podcast. What it showed is if he was to move to centre-back, the areas that he plays from and to would actually suit that. He'd be a very progressive passing centre-back. He was someone who could move the ball forwards with accuracy through lines. And then obviously his defensive data and his physical data was all fine from Rotherham anyway. And that's what West Brom have done. Now, I'm not saying they've they've looked at the data to the level that we did. I'm, I'm certainly not saying they didn't. But it's very interesting that the way you assess someone's data 
is still opinionated. It, it still takes a lot of watching and it takes discussion, which is why we constantly have discussion on, on the players that we're watching as to where we think they fit and why they might fit. And I think that's interesting. Um, a, a, another question there, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw Gav the, our new sign, signing under the bus here, Gav. Thanks, How, mate. Josh Hobbs asks, how do you best assess a player performing well in one league to do well in another league? Yeah, it's a really difficult question. I guess there's a couple of things for me that I would want to understand if I was watching a player. I think there's the things you would want to understand would be around about the environment that they are currently in and what is it they're, you're proposing that they're going to. Um, so going from, for example, Scotland to England, you know that could be fairly simple. Not always, but it could be. Whereas someone coming from Southeast Asia coming to England could be a very difficult move for a player to settle into. So that that's something I would consider. You'd also want to, obviously we talk a lot about watching the video. I think you'd want to look at the player traits um, when you're watching their video. I think there's a lot that can be given away from the attitude of a player on and off the ball. I think, you know, the way, for example, if they give away a free kick, how do they look? Or if they give possession away, how quickly do they try and, you know, win it back? Because these are the, the sort of attitudes and um resilience that I would want to see from a player to help me feel comfortable that they've got the mental character to be able to go from League X to League Y. And obviously, as you mentioned as well, you'd want to have as many conversations with people, coaches, players, um, agents, other people that have have spoken or or worked with this player previously to get a a fully rounded pitch on on their suitability to go from League X to League Y. I don't think there's like a a simple way to do it otherwise you know the, we wouldn't see players struggling to to adapt to a league but there, there's definitely things that you can do and you know I think that's where the background checks are, are really important and the almost the intangibles um with their character for me would be what I would want to sort of focus in on to to help a player settle I don't know if that answers the question or not no that's an excellent that's an excellent you've passed the test well done that was your second interview <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim, Tim, Andy, I, I guess you guys, you know, we're the ones who've been doing this the longest. So, have you got anything to add to that? Because I think this is a—it's probably the question. I would argue, if you take data out of it as such, this is the question: How can you say that a player who's performing well in one league will do well in another? So, we, we, you know, we're English, so we're all looking at Premier League or Championship. So, how do we know that someone in League Two in, in France or, or League One or, or the Bundesliga, Bundesliga? So, how do we know they're going to come convert that form? Well. We have spent quite a lot of time looking at this and we have done some um, research and some information about kind of the playing styles of various leagues. So if you're a centre-back, for example, which league is most similar to the English Championship? And you're going to be looking then at kind of like the amount of aerial duels, the amount of um, the sheer volume of passes in a game, the volume of crosses. But also I have a slightly controversial view, which is there's no real point in adjusting the data. All you want to, all I want to be able to do is see who is good within a league. And if they are the top of all the metrics in their league, they're probably worth having a look at. And if I look at that league and I'm looking at a centre-back and they are facing tiny, physically weak strikers and really slow-paced football and strolling through it just on their physicality, um, I'm going to be looking and thinking, He's not going to have those advantages if he plays in the championship. Is that, in fact, for the championship, is below average size and strength. And I'll still, if it's interesting still, it's probably worth a look and he might well suit a client in a different league. But my entire point of kind of 
do we kind of inflate or deflate our metrics and try and do some kind of overriding if a player in Romania is this in the championship it'd be that I'm slightly cynical on whether it's worth it or whether I'd rather spend that time just looking at them watching some video and I'm get, definitely in the video camp I guess there's just a quick inverse on that as well though right you could have a player that's not suitable for the current league they're in that go into the league that they the proposed club's looking at where they could excel because of the the change in environment so that's something I think you know that, that we, yeah. you would want to consider if you look I, at I, someone like John McGinn, he showed up really well in the Scottish Championship, like really, really well in progressive passing data. Um, and obviously has gone on to prove that he is a very, very good kind of Premier League level midfielder. So these players are there and sometimes they don't show up that well in other aspects of the game because the ball's going over their head all the time. But when he's actually on the ball, he is passing it beautifully. So, yeah, you've always got to look out for those type of players. There's different thought processes on this. I I, I, I agree with Tim in the ways that you can't rule anyone out you know, entirely. I, I, you know, There's obviously different things. You obviously look at the physicality, obviously being one. You know, you look at the pace of the game. Obviously, the two main leagues that people have issues with when signing to England is obviously Dutch League because people, of course, know that the, the Dutch League is less physical in our leagues. And then, obviously, Italy, because the pace of the game, it's much more tactical. It's not as free-flowing. Players tend to struggle. I think, I think there's a misconception for me of, of what can adapt and can't adapt. Because a lot of the time, is it that they couldn't adapt to the actual league itself, or was it that it was bad recruitment and they've not been put, they've not been bored and put in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation where they can succeed? Obviously, we've all seen Joe Linton this season for Newcastle, who obviously has gone from playing false nine in an Argelsman system to playing as a target man for Steve Bruce, and it's obviously not worked out. You look at Joe Linton. He can physically play in the Premier. Should be six foot two, well built, you know, good good pace. It's, it's not always, I think, the it's whether they can adapt to a new league. I think sometimes it's more the fault of bad recruitment by teams and not putting them in the position to succeed is why they don't, you know, in quotations adapt for me. That's 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 me all over. I, I'm completely on the level there with Andy. Uh, normally, I am to be fair, but that is absolutely spot on, and I think he's provided the best example. Not just because it's the most recent, but because it's the most obvious. Joe Linton was a guy who played in a Julian Nagelsmann system, um, which is you know very attacking, a lot of movement, a lot of vertical passing, a lot of a lot of basically speed of play is quick. The idea of Nagelsmann's system in any formation that he might play in or out of possession is get the ball, get it moving forward quick. It's all about playing through lines and basically the guys up top have a lot of support around them. And Joe Linton wasn't a centre forward, you know, we're not don't need to tell you guys that, but for anyone who doesn't know, he wasn't a centre forward especially not in the mould of what Newcastle had before, which was Salomon Randon, who I think I agree with this statement. If you're going to play with one striker who is separated by 50 metres to his midfield, Rondon might be one of the best in the world for that um, because of what he can do. He can bully two or three centre-backs. That's not Joe Linton's game. So what we get is this inverse opinion now where the, certainly the Newcastle fan base and a lot of the outside kind of media are judging him as a, a flop, a, you know, a 35, 40 million pound flop, basically. When in actual fact, if they change their system, play a different way, get him support, play him in a, that, that role that he's used to, that inside left, or if he moves back to the Bundesliga, I think we'd be fairly confident. And I, I, you know, not saying definite, but we'd be fairly confident, guys, if he went to the right team and the right system, it'd be a success again. Am I, am I wrong there? I think as a Newcastle fan, I, I feel like... A... One, I'm upset that I had to be reminded about that. But secondly, um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, there's there's... 
what Andy was obviously talking about the the bad recruitment. Newcastle have got the players to be a really exciting team, especially in the in the the final third. Obviously, Alan St. Maximum is he's he's really good when he's on the ball, an excellent dribbler, can progress the ball well. Uh, Almiron started to come onto the game, but it just goes back to not having the the right sort of shapes for the holes that Newcastle have got. And Steve Bruce is an appointment. That's where I think is is the problem. You've got creative players that can't aren't being allowed to express themselves in the way that they would at their previous clubs, and that's where the disconnect comes from the recruitment to the manager. And I think Newcastle are a really great example. And uh, if you wanted to look at why you need to have all your sort of back office, you know, uh, in shape with the manager and working together. Otherwise, you're just going to end up with square pegs and round holes. That's exactly right. You know, it is key when you're recruiting that you understand the manager's style of play. I think when there's a disconnect and you're buying players that, you you know, you maybe just like, you've got to understand the manager's philosophy. You, you know, I like certain types of footballs. I like certain types of style of play. But if I was recruiting for Newcastle, I'm sure we'll probably discuss this on a future pod because we probably are planning to about Newcastle being taken over. There's a, there's a way to recruit for Newcastle that you don't have to, you know, Joe Linton, I wouldn't have signed for Newcastle. The day he signed, I said it was a tragedy for Joe Linton that he signed for Newcastle because I knew exactly how he was going to be used. And I think, you know, you look at, you know, on the flip side of this, because someone did say adapt, you know, you, I, I always use the example of Davy Classen for Everton, who obviously came from Holland, was probably a bit slow, probably a bit unathletic to play in the Premier League. That's not his fault. That was poor recruitment by Everton. He probably couldn't adapt to the league. But with Ajax players, it's very difficult, I think, for certain Ajax players to adapt to different systems. Yeah. They play a very specific style of play. Now, this is where I'm, you know, I'm probably going to go into different things, but this is why I don't understand why Barcelona don't sign from Ajax more, is because that style of play is inherent to Ajax Academy graduates, and they fit into the Barcelona system rather than taking chances on people like Philippe Coutinho and other people where they don't fit that style of play and they don't suit the system. That's the, I think a lot of the time, adapt, adaptation is key. Don't be wrong. Jay, I'll tell you all the time. I suggest players and he'll say to me, I don't think he can physically deal with the League One, League Two, Championship, whatever. So that that does exist. But I think that the number of players is, would be much smaller in terms of who's thought, thought of like that if teams recruited better and understood more what they were trying to sign rather than signing players because, because they like that type of player. Yeah, I, I just, 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 just like we'll, we'll wrap this one up in terms of, I, I, again, guys, echo everything you've said there. And I think all you can do is reduce the data term, the error bars. That's all you can do. You can use your data analysis. You can use your video scout and you can do the background checks. If you can, you get physical data on the guy. Ultimately, you're doing everything you can to reduce the error bars. But if the upstairs and the coach and the tactics are not all under the same relationship, the same idea going towards the same goal, it will ultimately fail. It always will because it just cannot work if someone is signing players that don't fit what the coach is going to do or the manager is going to do. It cannot work if the coach wants players that aren't that good. It, it, it has to be a joined up uniform relationship. It's what we preach. It's what we talk to our clubs about. And, and that's the reason I think they come to us because I think, again, I think the guys can confirm this. We can't say names, but the clubs we work with have a completely joined up approach. They, 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 they certainly do. They know what they want. They're very clear on that and we can work within those confines. So that, that that's what it's good. But I think just to wrap up um, with a, a final question, actually, that we got, which is a really good one. Um, and I really like this one because we've got two guys here that watch a lot of young footballers. So what do we think are the most important metrics when scouting young players and trying to predict who could become elite? 
And I think this has been a, a Twitterati kind of debate recently as well. Um, so what, what do we think, guys? What do we think are the most important metrics when scouting young players? I think it depends where the metrics come from. So if you've got a player who's scored 45 goals in 30 games, they're obviously going to stand out on the goal scoring metrics. And that's an obvious one. If you're looking at a player who's a centre-back, the type of players they're going to be facing in youth football versus the type of players they're going to be playing in open age football is night and day. It's really difficult to look at any stats from from youth leagues or from kind of under-23 appearances and say he's definitely going to be a battle-hardened Premier League centre-back within a year. Um, so it's really looking at like a combination, as we always say, of data and video. I, I don't think I'd ever trust a single metric or even a set of metrics that were obtained playing only against other youth players. Having said that, I think if you look at the top 10% of players, as we've discovered from our own data searches, who are showing up well in youth football, generally they do transfer to adult football. So I think it's just a case of looking for who's consistently better than the level they're playing at. And I don't think you can do that from a single stat because you always see these kind of curl-on type dribblers as youth players who are just amazing at various one trick, which can beat any player. Um, and there's loads of examples. I remember watching Hallam Hope as a striker through the Everton youth system. And he used to, it was a hat trick every game, but he did it really by just A, being a good footballer and he's made a good career, but B, physically, he was dominant at that age. He could take the ball with his back to goal, turn any defender and rifle it in because he had a really good shot. But as soon as he was up against six foot four, battle hardened championship or lower league centre backs, that move didn't work as well. And he was still a good player, but he just wasn't going to be elite level. Does Tim win this podcast for managing to reference Carlon? I think Probably, I should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my bad memory of Carlon was, I remember he sealed dribbled, I think it was against Santos, because it was a oh, that's him in here. It was the black and white kids. And a player just decided that he'd seen enough of Carlon doing this dribble and absolutely assaulted him. So that's my abiding memory of Kalon. But yeah, you know, remember Careerson as well, who went to Barcelona and never made it. There's loads of players like that. I echo what Tim says, though, just as a last point from me, is it's hard to use one stat because, you know, with me, I'm looking for players who are performing at above league average level at 16, 17, 18, because that shows to me that they're already probably a good player. That's a wide range of, you know, data metrics. It's not just the one. I think... Again, defenders tend to develop later, so I wouldn't tend to go, oh God, this, you know, he's winning a lot of his defensive battles. He could be six foot four playing against small players. It, there's so many different variables within within data that you can't use one metric, you know. Even if I know people said, you know, appearances and people have said you know, goals, goals. Let's be honest, how many goals do 18 year old strikers score? They tend to start scoring really in 20, 21, 22 more. So I think that's a, a really interesting one because there's a guy in League Two at the minute. Uh, Jeff Cott at Plymouth Argyle who burst onto the scene after January and has scored a bunch of goals in, in no real time at all. No doubt Championship Premier League scouts were flocking to watch him to see what the, the, the ordeal was about. And I think that's you know it's absolutely fair. If someone is scoring goals at 18, 19, 20, you're definitely going to want to look. But I think, that Andy, you, you've hit the nail on the head, really. The answer is any, as in metrics-wise. What you want to do is we look at the profile and if anything stands out as above average for the league, this is if they're getting senior minutes, if anything stands out as above average for their league or if or certainly more than two or three things are standing out and it looks as though it's fitting for that position, then you're going to take a look on video. Of course you are. And that's where you might see more, especially if it's kind of a guy kicking around in League 2, League 1 or 
maybe in uh, France 3 or Germany 3, if they've got the dual data, you know, if they've got the physicality at 18 and then they're propping up, say they're a, a centre mid and they're propping up some good passes to the penalty area as well, you're going to look because if there's anyone who's performing at that age, at that level, above average for the league, that is absolutely someone you should be investigating in. Um, I caught kind of Tom, Tom Lowry is an interesting one at crew who might be known to the EFL guys out there. I think Tom's going to play quite high. I think he's going to play in the championship, potentially even higher. And I caught Tom very early into his crew career, about six, seven appearances in, simply because he's a very small guy, but his dual data was actually okay. It was, you know, he's about five foot seven, five foot six, Tom, yet he was performing just below league average on his duels, yet his creative metrics were in the top third, you know, top 25%. That is, as a 19, 20-year-old, that is absolutely what I want to see. He's playing in a physical league. He's tiny and he's dealing with it. And he's putting his ability on the ball to good effect. That That is all I needed to see in six appearances, following up with the video, to know that Tom was someone to flag up to clubs who we were speaking to at the time and, and obviously have gone on. And I think Tom's probably going to, would have, pre-COVID, been worth a decent amount of money. Um, you know, No one knows what's going to happen in the EFL now. But I think that's that's a really interesting answer. I mean, I completely agree. It's... There isn't a metric. It could be any metric is probably the way I'd term it. All right, guys, I think I think we're probably we've gone through most of the questions we can. There's a couple of data questions there about evolution of data scouting, which I, I think we'll get into when we do kind of a data own podcast, which we'll probably get Ram and Kevin on for, or Matt, if we can. Um, but I think unless you guys want to add anything else, we'll probably wrap that up for the first one for the one remaining listener that's here. Yep, well, yeah, I've enjoyed myself. I think it's a, you know it's a, the start of you know an, an interesting podcast series, if you will. That I already will do, but yeah, I think it's it's been good so far. Obviously, you know this one we talked about ourselves. Like we won't always do that. Obviously, that you know that was just as a, as an opening gamble for us to get to know us. And hope obviously you're listening next week. But it's just something completely different. Yeah, absolutely. that's not just a. Sorry, I was just going to say, is this not just a ego vessel for us all? Have I have I mistaken this? <laughs> Shut up, Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll bribe you later, Gav. And we don't need we don't need any more ego, Gav. Trust me. Um, but no, I mean, this, is, this has been good fun. I hope we've answered enough listening questions. And I, I know there's a couple we probably wanted to get to and didn't. I promise you, we will get back to them because one of them is is a really good question on coaching insights with data. And I think again, we can cover that in a pod on kind of performance analysis. Um, it's worth saying there's a, a couple of guys who aren't here as we spoke about: Matt Lawrence, Ram Shavernis, um Kevin Elphick. And then also Luke as well. Um, we aren't just scouts, data guys, um, and video guys. We also have a, a professional footballer within our ranks. Um, so we, we certainly know a lot on the performance analysis side. And Tom as well, um, who's come on board with Gavin and Luke, is an exceptional analyst um, and data guy and scout. So we'll probably try and get all the guys on on, on various Chris pods if we well. can. Chris as well. Sorry, mm, we got Chris as well as a coach. So we've got a variety of skills, haven't we, really? And, you know, obviously some interesting personalities. So I'll, I'll say myself as the most interesting, but, you know, we've got interesting <laughs> bunch of personalities as well. Oh, we've also got, you know, you'll hear the music, by the way. I'd just like to say that is from our very own Ramson Vinas and, and his band. That is that is a fair point. We have one of the best data guys in football and also an absolute rock star. Um, not quite sure how he's going to split the two in future. We might lose him. He might end up going on a world tour, but we're willing to accept that. Um, but yeah, Rams. This, any tunes that you hear on the pod, that will be Ram. And we have been promised that uh, Chris Summersall is actually going to sing one time. I think he. So he I don't, like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I can play. I can play a tambourine, so I'm going to get involved in that. So uh, you know, let's just let's let's just have a chow down on some music one time. But 
I think that's uh, that's probably enough, isn't it? Thank you very much, guys, for listening. Um, if you do like it, do comment, um, do share it, and please give us any feedback that you can, and we'll try and get these better and better as we go. Thank you very much. Thanks.